0: Father, there we, we come to you um, because of your love for us. You told us in your word that you chose the disciples. They did not choose you. Their, their love for you, however imperfect it was, was due to your love for them. And so it is with us. We come and worship you based out of the love of, of God in Christ for us this morning. There's no other reason to explain it. Father, we, we were, as the Apostle Paul says it, without hope and without God in this world, estranged from the covenant promise. God, we were not pursuing you. And yet, because of the love of Jesus, we stand here as redeemed people bought by your blood coming to express our love towards you, all because you love us. God, we, uh, what else can we say? Your love is vast as an ocean, immeasurable and free to us. It comes over us again and again, despite all of our failings, even this morning. So we, we want to thank you for your love. God, we want to ask that your your love would, would be displayed and evident to us in what it really is. The holy God drawing people to himself, making them holy. This holy love. We pray that it would be on display as we behold Jesus Christ in your word. We ask that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures as we read them and as we explain them. We ask, O oh God, that you would make yourself clear to us. So open our minds and our hearts to your word. And please open your word to us. And it is true that unless the spirit of God comes in, moves in us, we will not understand. So we're asking you, Father, to send your spirit to help us understand, to behold you, and to worship you rightly. And then to love you and one another. Father, we pray that not only for ourselves, but as we partner in the gospel with our our other friends here in this city, other churches, God, we ask that you would help them as they are preaching the gospel as well, as they are loving one another and displaying this love of Jesus for Corvallis to see. We pray for Pioneer Church and we ask that you would be with them as they meet, as they read the scriptures, as they preach and as they sing. And then, as they go out to tell others about you, would you make the gospel clear to them? Would they be founded in this good news of Jesus Christ and his love for us? And then would they go out with boldness and tell other people about that love? We pray that you'd give them great success there in Southtown. We pray for Jeremy, even as he, he preaches and teaches your word, that you'd, you'd make his sole focus the gospel. As Paul told us, uh, I, I long to know nothing else but Christ and him crucified. Father, we also pray this for First Baptists here in Corvallis and all the many transitions they have. We pray that their testimony would remain strong and that as they help people understand the good news of the gospel, that they would be changed themselves. And we pray that as they meet together, that your word would be upheld and go forth, and it would be the pillar and ground of truth. God, we pray this, even as we move out of Corvallis and we think about the churches that we partner with in the Northwest, we pray for Redemption Church in Portland and Gresham Bible, and we pray for these dear brothers as they preach the gospel. We pray for Virgil, that you'd give him strength and power and humility and gentleness with the good news. We pray for Josh Howeth, our, our our previous pastor, as he's ministering and laboring there in Gresham, that you give him much grace as he preaches your word, and tends to this congregation that is your own, God. And we ask that you, you, O oh Father, would not just do that here in the northwest, but you'd you'd spread the fame of your name to the borders of our country. God would. Would people who have darkened minds be lightened by your love, enlightened by your love? We pray that you'd raise up church planters and missionaries to go and tell unreached people groups about your name, about the greatness of your name and your glory and how we can experience that through your love. God, we pray for the continent of Africa and we ask that you would have a sound witness there as the gospel is exploding there. There's also much confusion uh, about who you are and what you do for your people. I pray that they would understand that they follow a suffering Messiah. They, they would not be confused by a prosperity gospel that would, that, that would dull them to the pains that you have them suffering for your namesake. And, oh God, I pray that from there, even from the global south, that your name would spread to the corners of the earth that your fame would be made known. And God, we pray now that you would meet with us, tend to us. We we are your dear flock. We are your little children. We are your family. And we ask as, as we open your word that we would behold you and obey you. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and the one who loves us, Amen. So we are starting this morning a new series for the summer. It take about nine weeks. in uh, It is in the uh, one another passages in the Bible, so it's a little bit different than what we've been used to. We spent fifty sermons in the Book of Mark which is a long expositional series through one passage of Scripture, systematically working through. And now we're going to take some passages in uh, the New Testament to, to describe, to display, well, like, what a healthy church is. So it, we're, we're tiling it uh, Life Together, Living Out the One Another Commands. Uh, Maybe you've heard that title before. I ripped it off from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book called *Life Together*, which is uh, it's a, a it's a, a treatise, a rich treatise on Christian community. I encourage you to pick it up and read it if you have never read it before. So uh, we sang about that Christian community. Maybe you noticed in one of our songs already. Uh, oh, how good it is, right? When the family of God dwells together in spirit, in faith, in unity. That's what we're going to be talking about this this summer. We're going to be looking at different various one another commands. to, to, to see what the New Testament shows us is a healthy church because we believe that uh, healthy churches display God's glory. Now as we went through the Gospel of Mark, we saw what it took for for Jesus to make a church, really to make a family. That's what a church really is. It's a a group of people that have come together under their father God, through the older brother, Jesus Christ, to come together as brothers and sisters. So uh, we come together as one when we join into a church, and members of one another, we come together as a family. And the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John all tell us how that happened. Well, what did it take for God to make a family of, of rebel sinners? Well, the Son of God left the glories of heaven and came and dwelt among us. Imagine that. Eternal God. Coming and taking flesh. Paul tells us about this in Philippians 2. He, he robed himself with human flesh. He left the glories of heaven. He left his his rightful place with God the Father and came and dwelt among us, a sin-cursed people. And John tells us, he and the disciples, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this God gave up the glories of heaven, suffered humiliation here, died and rose again to include you in the family, to include all those who repent and turn to Christ in the family of God. This is, this is what it took to do that. He had to serve man. God had to serve man. And one of the many benefits of this great salvation is like I've been saying, is you get a new family. You don't just get to escape hell. You don't just get to escape the penalty from your sins. You get God as your father, Jesus as your brother, and all the ones around you, and many, many more, your brothers and sisters, all of those who trust in Christ. So you can look around this room. I'm just going to make it really awkward. Go ahead. Look look next to each other. Yep, some of you are doing it. So awkward, isn't it? It's good, though. That's your family, brothers and sisters. If you're trusting in Christ, that is your family. Those are your brothers and sisters, and we don't always get along, that's true, but you don't mess with family, right? You don't mess with family. Last Sunday, we talked about how what Jesus won for us was applied to us individually. And all the benefits we get from salvation in terms of a calling, a, an election, a, a justification, and a, and a glorification. All of those are applied to us as individuals. And in the One Another series, we're going we're to take about nine sermons to talk about how this is applied to a group of people. How this is applied to, a, well, a family. And so, you know, God doesn't just bring you into a personal relationship with him. He brings you into a family called the church. Now, many of us have some vague recollect, some vague notion of what a church is, right? The church is not this building. The church is a people, right? And you're, the branch knows that, right? How many places have we been, right? You know that it's not a building. It wasn't the Majestic. It wasn't the River Center. It wasn't Grand Avenue Baptist, uh, it wasn't the fellowship hall out there. Uh, all of the other places, the people are the church. And, and you know, the, it is the universal church, the, the, the people of God from every time in history, from every geography. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. If you trust in Jesus, you are a brother or sister. You are a part of the church. That is the, that is the family you are one into. But every location, this side of glory has a visible local expression of that universal invisible church. So anyone who says, I'm a part of the universal church, I don't need to go to church on Sunday, I'm a part of the church. You are a part of the church, but if you deny that you need to be a part of a visible local expression of a group of Christians as a family, you might not be a Christian. I know that's provocative, but I mean it to be. Because Jesus loves his church, He loves the visible local expressions of that church as much as he loves the universal expression of that church. And he has them, he has this family together, joining together for a reason, for your good. People without families struggle. A group of Christians is meant to be a family, but not in all of the ways your nuclear family could be. We have a a unity greater than our bloodline. It's like we sing, we share in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit. So what we're after here in this series is looking at what is a healthy church. Because healthy churches display God's glory. And that's the greatest, that's the great purpose for which you were created to display God's glory. I hope this isn't a surprise to you that I'm talking this way, because in my candidating sermon, I spoke on Ephesians 3.10. And Ephesians 3.10 tells us the great purpose uh, for not just the church, but for the universe. So that through the church, now God has displayed the mystery of the gospel in joining Jew and Gentile together, for this great purpose, so that through the church, the joining together, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God wants to display his glory because his glory is what is best for humanity, for the world, for the cosmos. And the way he does that most clearly is through his church. Healthy churches display, display God's glory. And you know you're a healthy church when you look more like a healthy family than a healthy business. We can have balanced budgets. We can have pretty slick children's programs. But if we don't operate like a family who is dwelling in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit, then we're not healthy. What What do families thrive on? What do families thrive on? Just think about that for a minute. You can answer in your mind. And some, some of your answers will reveal personality, right? So some of you will say structure. That's what families thrive on, right? They need structure. Well, that's partly true. That is, that's, that's partly true. And all the kids in here are saying, families thrive on freedom, right? Do whatever I want. I should be able to, I stay up and play destiny to, for however long I want to and sleep till noon. Yes, <laughs> and Blake thinks so too. Uh, And some of us say food, right? We all know when we get hangry, families just kind of break down. And that's partly true. All all of those are partly true. But what a family needs, what a family was meant to have, and what a family really thrives on, and what a family wants is love. True love. Real love. Not vague notions of love, like, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you cookies instead of the the meat and potatoes you're supposed to have. But love is not vague notions. Love is defined and displayed by God. And it is this love, this love of God, that is the fertile ground for which we see our love grows. Right? So we're looking at what is a healthy church? It looks like a family. What do families thrive on? They thrive on love. And where does love come from? It comes from God. God's love is the fertile ground for which the seed of our love grows and sprouts and and comes up. Right? So... If any of you have tended a garden or made a garden, you'll know that the ground must be free from obstruction like rocks and weeds as best as you can, right? It must be watered. It must be fertilized. And it has to have just the right amount of sun in the garden to grow. His love, God's love, is all of those things put together. He's the one that causes true love in us. Apart from God's love... Roots of our love cannot go deep enough or get enough nourishment to grow, to spread out, and to bear fruit. God's love for himself and his love for us is the only ground upon which our love can produce any fruit. That's a long introduction, but in our text this morning... Uh, it it tells us that the followers of Jesus are to love one another in the same way that Jesus loved his followers. Okay, so here's the sort of sentence that I'm trying to get after. Because we display God's glory most brilliantly when we love one another. We display God's glory most brilliantly when we love one another. John shows us in this short passage that we're going to be looking at. That God's glory in his son's service necessitates his disciples' love for one another. God's glory in his son's service necessitates his disciples' love for one another. Because we display God's glory most brilliantly when we love one another. So, we're just going to look at at, at it in in five points. We're just going to ask questions. What is it? Why does it matter? How do we do it? What is it? Why does it matter? How do we do it? And then uh, two application points. How have we seen it at work among us, at the branch? And how do we keep it going? So what is it? Why does it matter? How do we do it? And then apply. This is, listen to God's word. I'm going to read John thirteen thirty one through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, that's Jesus, in himself, and glorify him, Jesus, at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love, one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. So what is it? What is this love? Before we can love, we need to define it. What does it mean? What does it mean to love somebody else? We might think we know But if you go long into a relationship, you might find that, man, I'm not sure I knew like I thought I knew what love actually is. Jesus, in the surrounding context, in John 13, verses 1 through 20, he displays and defines what God's love is. If you've never read it before, it's the Feast of the Passover, and and Jesus is making a new meal for his disciples, and John, John really is the only one that tells us this, that, that uh, the hour had come for him to depart, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So during this, this supper, Jesus does something uh, fantastic. Jesus does something surprising. Jesus dons a towel, and washes the feet of his disciples. Uh, that was the dirtiest job anyone could have. In, in, in the context and in, in the culture, washing someone else's feet was for the lowest slave possible. Some slaves would say, that's, look, I'm a servant, but I'm not that kind of servant, right? You've probably had jobs like that or where you've worked and you said, you know, Maybe on the bottom of the totem pole, but there's even someone a little lower than me. Well, that's what this was. Foot washing uh, was this. It was the kind of service that, that uh, the Jewish people, Jewish, even Jewish servants would say, I, I, you give that to the Gentile dogs, not to me. So God defines and displays his love through serving the disciples by washing their feet. You know, they wore sandals, their feet got dirty, and it was was custom to wash, to have a a foot-washing station for your guests and your visitors. And the lowest slave would do that. And what this displays for us and defines for us is a love that says God must serve man if he was going to be clean. You know, Peter objects to this, in some ways rightfully so. Peter says to Jesus, you wash my feet? Never. And Jesus said, if, if I don't wash you, you won't be clean. You will have no part with me. And then Peter says, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, I, that's not the point, man. The point is, is, unless God serves man, and gives up himself as a servant to man, dies in their place, they cannot be clean. They cannot be with God. They cannot experience his love. This is love defined. This is love displayed. Getting down, bending on your knees, and serving one another. The God of the universe got down on his human knee. Donned the towel of the lowest slave. And put his disciples, his dirty disciples, And their dirty feet. Into the water. This is a God who's never known sin. Who's too holy to even look on sin. And he bows down. He bows down before these sinners. And washes them. This is God's love displayed and defined. Unless God serves man he cannot be clean and unless you serve your brother and sister and your fellow man unless you do that you do not display that you really know God's love it was not only displayed and defined in foot washing it was also it was also displayed and defined in the betrayal of and denial of of Judas and Peter in, in the succeeding verses how was how was it defined? It was it was tested in this. Would, would God really love his own to the end, even when his his own were betraying him? were denying him. Would it last till the end? And Jesus displays that it will uh, just in their relationship with Peter. He continued to love Peter. He draws Peter out. And at the end of John, we see God restoring Peter with these words. Do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. Love one another. Lead my family into loving one another. No betrayal, no denial could dissuade Jesus Christ from displaying his love on the cross. The foot washing was just a precursor of something greater. Betrayal and denial were not big enough to to dissuade Jesus Christ. It was Jesus' God-glorifying love seen through suffering. It was, Jesus' love was a God-glorifying love seen through suffering. So the foot washing, like I just said, only pointed to something greater. That was the cross, the suffering of the cross, where he gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus the Christ displays and defines what true love is. Giving up yourself, your desires, even your rights for your brother and sister, your fellow man. This is what love is. But you ask, why does it matter? And here we get to the heart of uh, the text that we're, we're at this morning. Why does it matter? It matters because we were created for the glory of God. Verses, how, how do we see that? Verses 31 and 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, so Judas had just left to go betray Jesus. And Jesus says, in the midst of this betrayal, in the midst of his service to the disciples, he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. I mean, you notice the repeated word, right? I mean, it's like John wants us to, wants to, know, us to know what he's talking about by, by saying the word glory over and over again. Jesus, the son of man, was the second Adam. G- Jesus, the second Adam, came to do and fulfill exactly what the first Adam was created to do. That was to glorify God in this temple called earth. By obeying him, by obeying the one simple command, "Don't eat of that tree. Lo- love your fellow man enough to not eat, to obey me, not eat of that tree." This, is, this was Adam's one great purpose on this earth: glorify God and replicate worshipers of him in this temple called Earth. Adam failed miserably. As we do. Just like him. His his offspring. But Jesus came to do and undo what the first Adam did and couldn't do. Jesus came to glorify God. And in the midst of suffering, in in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of on his way to the cross, in the midst of service, Jesus says, now God is really glorified. When you love one another... Like I am loving you. God is glorified and you are fulfilling your purpose in the world. What the first Adam could, couldn't do, Jesus did perfectly. Why does it matter? It's because you were created for the glory of God. You were created to glorify God. You do that best by obeying him, loving him, and loving one another. Jesus did all of that, even in the midst of suffering. But not only that... We see that why it matters is because our brothers and sisters need this love. Matt read for us Leviticus 19. In it, God is displaying for his people, the people Israel, what they were supposed to do. You saw all the rules and the all, all of the commandments in Leviticus 19, 1 through 18, when it came down to it, the, the main thing that God wanted them to do was to honor, glorify him. And what did it say at the end? Love your fellow man. Love one another. Love people. Love God. Love people. Friends, this is what you were created for. You were created to be loved. And you're only fully, perfectly loved. You're only in this garden of God's good love when God loves you perfectly. And you are only flowering and and fruitful and and enjoying God's love when that love springs out to other people. This is what you and I were created for. This is what we need. Why does it matter? Because you're created for the glory of God. Because Brothers and sisters need this. And because this is our greatest witness to the world. Our our brothers and sisters need this. I should have pointed out was in verses 33 and 34. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus is going away from his people. This is the one thing they know they need. Jesus, this perfect love that they've experienced, and now he's going away. What are they going to do? They're going to be alone. And Jesus says, you're not going to be alone. Love one another. Love each other, brothers and sisters. But not only are you supposed to love one another, this is our greatest witness to the world. It is a great witness to the world when you boldly proclaim Jesus Christ's name and the gospel to those you know. It is a greater witness to the world when they look on the church and they see love for one another displayed in our assembly. Jesus says in verse 35, "By this your love for one another, by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we're serving one another, when we're giving up our life for one another, for other people even outside of our assembly, they look on and they see, oh, wow, they truly love one another. They must be Jesus' disciples. Those aren't my words. Those are his. This is our greatest witness to the world. That's why it matters. And then very quickly, how do we do it? What is it? It's displayed and defined in Jesus, in God's service to man. Why it matters. as for his glory. We need it. It's our greatest witness to the world. How do we do it? Just, I have to summarize here. But in chapter 14, I think Jesus goes on to display in his farewell discourse how we are. To love one another. How do we get there? In chapter 14, 1 through 14, Jesus says, I'm going away. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'll come back for you. In the meantime, uh, I am sending the Spirit to you. And and there are some questions by the disciples. How, How do we know the way to where you're going? Jesus says, you know the way. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we do it? How, how do we love one another? It starts by beholding Jesus, having to focus on Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This is what this farewell discourse, I think one of the things this farewell discourse is doing is having a slow down And for us to say, to see Jesus as the only way that we can love one another. Beholding him in his word. He's the way to the Father. He's the way to the one that we need the most. He's the way way to the one who we're supposed to glorify. This is what we're made for. And the only way to him is through the way, the truth, and life. Behold him by spending time in the word, beholding Christ. This is how you will love one another, friends. This is how we will will come to give up ourselves for the other person's good. If you skip on in the farewell discourse to chapter 15, we we see Jesus talking more about this. We, We not only behold Christ in his word, we abide in the vine that you might bear fruit. Behold Christ in his word, the way, the truth, and the life. Abide in the vine that you might bear fruit. Chapter 15 is all about that. If you didn't know that, that's, that's where uh, the, this church's name came from. John chapter 15. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Uh, who, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. We're the branch. We're, we're a part of the vine. We're, we're meant to be bearing fruit. The, the main fruit that we're meant to be bearing is love for one another. This is what a healthy church looks like, friends. The only way to do it is to spend time beholding Christ in His Word and by abiding in the vine that you might bear fruit. Read the Bible, meditate on it, and pray. You're like, oh, this sounds like Sunday school class again. But yes, <laughs> this is what we need, friends. Do you ever struggle to read the Word regularly, meditate, and pray? I do too. That's the whole point. We need to be reminding ourselves and each other of this this ordinary means that God wants to bring grace to us. This is where grace comes to us as Christians. It comes more and more to us through the word, extended times in the word, extended times on meditation, on passages like John 13, 34 through 35, and praying. Abiding in Christ. He says, if you abide in me, my word will abide in you. So beholding Christ, how do we do it? We behold Christ in his word. And then we obey. And John tells us, like, a, as we do this, it's going to happen. There is sort of a, a passive and an active nature to this abiding. You abide in me right? Abide in me, and I abide in you. And as we abide in Christ, through not only his work, but as we meditate on him through his word, he will produce fruit in us. Chapter 14, verses 15 through 26 tell us that by keeping his commandments through the power of the Spirit, this is the way we will love one another. This is the way we will obey him. If you say you love me, keep my commandments, that's what he says. I mean, for for kids, it's it's you know teenagers and and younger people in here. It's it's simply as you don't want to know what your one job is. Obey mom and dad, honor them. That that that's what Jesus has said. And 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 Jesus has said, I will know that you actually love me, not just by you saying you love me, but but by you keeping my commandments. Verse twenty six says. The way he does that is through the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This obeying is not something we just work up in ourselves. If I try hard enough, I will obey. It's meditating on Christ in his word, letting his word abide in us as we abide in him. We will obey the word through the abiding spirit. And I, I don't know how else to tell you uh, that you'll know that except that you obey. And when you don't obey, you'll, you'll respond in gospel language. Repentance and faith. Repent of my sin and I turn, I turn to him. So I'm not saying that we obey perfectly and the only way you know if you have Jesus is if you obey perfectly. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as you spend time beholding him, the fruit of the spirit will live among us and it will produce fruit. One, One of the ways you can do that is by pursuing holiness. You can look at 1 Peter later on. 1 Peter 1 tells us that as we pursue holiness, our affection for the brothers and sisters will grow. Pursuing holiness will produce affection for one another. See, I don't really like the other person in this room. This other person in this room really bothers me. Peter says, pursue holiness, affection for that person will grow. That's how we do it. But We behold, we obey. We do that all through the power of God. Now, our last two are just just application. I wanted to dig in a little bit into the application of this text. And part of the application is, is for us to remember How God has done this among us. So how have we seen this work among us? How have we seen God's love at work among us? I was just trying to meditate on this a little bit this week and ask some other people uh, what they thought about this. Did you know that during COVID, um, there are some people in our church that wanted to pay the rent of other people in our church? They said, hey, do you know of anyone that might be struggling and need their rent paid? Because we know it's a hard time. There are two families that have their rent paid. Go back even further than COVID. Think of the loving labor that it took to start this church. The Howiths, the Bruckers, the Mungers, the Armitanos, the Crows, the Five Houses, and other people I'm missing that have been here longer than me. There's a loving labor it took to tell people about Jesus and gather them to worship Jesus. Think about that. This was God's love at work among us. Think of the countless meals provided when someone has a baby. There's been quite a few babies born in uh, over COVID season. I, I see a couple of them here this morning. And, and in God's kindness... Meals have been provided for people. We're not tuning our, our own horn. We're saying this is God's work among us. His love has been at work. Think of all the times someone has stopped and prayed with you or asked you how you were doing. Someone did that with me this week. We were talking about something hard and they said, look, can we just pray about that? And we prayed. That's God's work. That's God's love at work among us. You've heard of uh, drive-by shootings. During COVID, we had drive-by birthday parties. Do you guys remember those? We'd, my son experienced a drive-by birthday party as they, uh, all of you went around and around our circle honking and setting off fireworks for, for birthdays. That's God's love at work among us. Think of the way the brothers and sisters serve our children and families during the service. Even now, it's happening. We call it twigs ministry. Someone was telling me about the way our brother Jeff serves so faithfully and selflessly, even when our children are not behaving. And I think he met my children. <laughs> uh, think of, you know, Joy and Bridget, who have taken up uh, some of the children's ministry work, and, and Beth Wiedenbacher, and the Rakes, and the Thompsons, and the Loonies, and the Reeves, and all those who work in twigs. That's God's work. That's God's love at work among us. Think of how Jess Reeves stepped up to schedule hospitality when the Hans had their baby. Or think of our, our friend Trevor, who has given his life to take the gospel to unreached peoples on another continent. That's God's love at work among us. And, friends, these are just a few of the hundreds, maybe thousands, of stories of God's love in just this location. Think of all the multiple churches, the ones we've never heard about, the ones we'll never know until we're in the new heavens and new earth, and, and God is 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 telling us the stories of his love at work. It's at work here. This all happens by beholding Christ in his word, abiding in his love, which leads to obeying his commands. Love one another. So how do we keep this going? How do we keep this love going? we we'll continue to abide in his love. We continue uh, to, to um, focus on Christ, to behold him in his word, and continue to pray. There's one practical way that many Baptist churches have tried to keep this love going. And it's by uh, it's by making a promise to one another that we will love one another. And that happens through membership. So, most of the people here i think are members of this church in your membership you you make a formal promise that you're going to love one another that you're going to give your life up for one another you know there's there's a way i introduced this last summer but there's a way i would like to see us formalize this promise even more through a church covenant and I have a church covenant here that, um, that really the one another, one another series, uh, it, this church covenant is really based on the one another passages in the scripture. And a church covenant is, is a lot like, it's a formal promise, a lot like marriage vows. When you come into membership, you're, you're saying that you will promise certain things. You will, you know, like a marriage, you limit yourself to one partner. It's not that you can't go to another church, but you you promise to devote yourself here to to one another, to the people you see in this local place, these visible people. You promise to love them with your heart. You promise to give of yourself to them, of your your time, your talent, and your treasure so that God might be glorified in the world. And and this is one way. I I I will be sending this out in a digital form. I'd love to make copies for you if you want to read this. We will Lord willing, we'll vote on this in our next members meeting, whether we'll accept this in as a church covenant for our members or not. And as we as we think about it, this is adapted from a church covenant written by J. Newton Brown in 1853. I just want to end just reading the things that I think will help keep this love going as we make promises. As, those, as it starts, as those who have been brought to repent and believe in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, being united to Him by His Spirit, we now solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another. We God's love as such. has been the ground of our love, and we want to promise one another some things. And here are some things that we want to promise. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace we will, by God's grace, forsake the paths of sin and walk in the ways of holiness all the days of our lives, striving together for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort. We will regularly gather together, just like we're doing now, engaging in gospel community, rejoicing with each other's happiness, and bearing one another's burdens and sorrows. We will pray for each other and provide help to those in our midst who are in need. We will pursue the Lord Jesus Christ through the ordinary means of grace and will encourage the same in one another. We'll encourage one another to focus on Christ and to abide in Him. We will bring up those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by pure and loving example seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will live carefully. And honorably before the world, remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried through baptism and raised again in Christ, so there is on us a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. We will lovingly guard one another from the deceitfulness of sin, giving and receiving admonish, excuse me, admonishment in humility and affection. We will bear patiently with one another, diligently pursuing biblical reconciliation. We will work together to promote faithful gospel ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry of this church for the spread of the gospel through all nations. Should we leave this church, we will seek another church where where we can carry out the principles of God's word as follows as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is the basis for all this? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Friends, it is the love of God that that sort of ground of our our garden of love. He's the foundation. He's he's everything that is going to make the fruit of our love abound and explode the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is is how we can love one another. Abiding in Christ, seeing Him, focusing on Him through the word and prayer and faithfully obeying His commands. As we do it, may the Lord help us to be a witness of His love, not only to one another, but to the watching world. And maybe He be glorified In all of this. Let's pray. Father we ask that you. By your love. Would convince us. That we. We have not loved like we should. All the time. But you have loved us. And it's in your love we ask that you would help us love one another. Continue this love oh God. Until you come again. Continue this love, and we know that as we enter into uh, eternity, that as we enter into relationship with you in a new way as we see you, this love will be continuing. So God, we ask you, overwhelm us with your love, that we might love one another. Let our minds be focused on Christ. Abide in him, that we might obey him for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, friends, in a moment, we'll be transitioning to the Lord's table. And uh, this, if you haven't gotten it during the next song, you can, you can go get the elements. But there's a wafer in here on the top, and there's juice in the, in the cup. And this represents um, something that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And, and it might get old to you because we do it every week, but don't let it get old. The bread reminds us that God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his body up for us, broke, broke it for us. And the cup reminds us that, that he shed his blood for us. He, he drank down God's wrath for us that we might have a cup of blessing. So I just want to remind us that this, this uh, ceremony that we do, this uh, Lord's table, does not save us. But it is for Christians. It's for those who have turned to Christ, repented of their sins, and trusted in him. So if, if you have trusted in Christ, we encourage you to take this meal. Typically, what normally what a Christian will do in their first act of obedience is follow the Lord in baptism. So we think, you know, it, it, unless you have uh, ex, extenuous uh, reasons, extenuating circumstances, we believe that uh, only baptized believers should take this meal. If you, if you are one of those, we encourage you to talk to us about, about what that means. And if, that's, if it sounds harsh to you, we don't mean it to be harsh. Uh, P- Paul tells us that we should be examining ourselves. Uh, because if we take this unworthy, there's, we're drinking to ourselves damnation. And we don't want that to happen. So we, we're trying to love you by doing this, by fencing the table this way. So if you have questions, please ask me. And if you're not going to take, I just take the meal. I encourage you to pray during this time and and talk to the Lord about um, how He wants you to respond to this good news of the gospel. One of the ways we try to set uh, the tone is to have a prayer of confession. So I'm going to pray a prayer of confession. And. Uh,